You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everyone, welcome to Sparking Wholeness. This is Erin Carey, and I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. Nicole Birkins. I've been wanting to get her on my show for a while. She is a licensed clinical psychologist with advanced degrees in both psych, well, in all psychology, education, and nutrition, not both, but three of them. Dr. Nicole Birkins is a leading holistic child psychologist. She has dedicated her 25 year career to providing parents with research based strategies that get to the root of children's attention, anxiety, mood, and behavior challenges. So they can reach their highest potential. She founded and runs a multidisciplinary evaluation and treatment clinic in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and is a best-selling author, published researcher, award-winning therapist, media expert, scientific advisor, and importantly, experienced mother of four. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. Like I said, I've been wanting to get you on for a while. Um, I didn't have on here your Instagram, but your Instagram is super informative and empowering for parents. And I think that we will talk about that more at the end of how people can follow you and all of that. But I think that is where I first got connected with you and you drop so many truth bombs and so much information. And I appreciate just your vast amount of research that you've done on things like nutrition and behavior and how the two are connected. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, my career has taken kind of a winding journey. You know, you mentioned in the um, intro, I have experience and degrees in education where I started out as a teacher um, and then discovered that actually I wanted to be able to support kids and families um, outside of the six and a half hour school day. And that led me into then clinical psychology with a focus on um, child development, brain development. And then, you know, I was in practice for quite a while and discovering all these just uh, common threads between kids coming in with things like attention problems and anxiety and mood issues and behavior issues, but also having this whole long list of, um, you know, physical health issues, Um, really picky eating, chronic constipation, moms and dads saying, you know, my kids never slept well a night in their life. Um, you know, infections, all these kinds of things. And at that time I was um, a mom, uh, you know, that was a while ago. My kids are older now, but when they were little, I was noticing some things with my, my youngest two as well, chronic eczema, chronic ear infections, and that being connected to some other, you know, more, um, you know, developmental and behavioral things. And that got me really curious um, to look into, well, is there research on this? What do we know about this? And it seems so obvious to me now, understanding what I know now about the connection between the brain and the body. But back then, nobody was really talking about this. You know, this was 15, 16 years ago. Um, And I had been through a lot of education at that point, um, multiple graduate degrees, and nowhere was it talked about that there's a connection for kids or adults between what's going on in the body and what's happening in the brain. And so I was surprised at that time to find you know, oh, we actually have a body of research literature showing that these things are connected, particularly for kids. And it was sort of a light bulb moment for me of getting really invested in understanding from a holistic perspective, what was going on for kids, for families, for parents, not just the behavioral or the learning or the developmental kinds of symptoms, 
which tell us that something's going on, but don't tell us what's going on and, and digging deeper to understand what was going on underneath that, that led me on a you know path towards getting a degree in nutrition because I really wanted to understand the biochemistry of all that. Um, but I think that's where um, the field needs to move today. And that, that's really what I'm passionate about helping parents um, understand part of why I you know even got into posting things on Instagram or social media in general was to just say to parents and other professionals, look, these things matter. These things make a difference. Things like the food that we uh, eat, the, the, the way that we sleep, the amount of movement we get, the lifestyles that we have, the amount of stress in our homes, all of these things play a big role in what's going on for our kids in terms of their mood, their anxiety, their behavior, their learning, all of those things. Because I think when we can understand it in that way, it gives us a lot more options then um, for how we can address and support um, those things. Uh, and I believe that both on a clinical level with the professional work that I do, but also on the personal level, just in my own family. Yeah, absolutely. I echo that hundred percent. You know, I started in education as well. I was a teacher for 11 years, mm. mostly because I cared about teens mental health. That was my passion yeah. is I wanted teens to feel heard, seen, understood all of that. Didn't care so much about the subject as that. And now I work with adults and their mental health and a health coaching aspect, but it's, it's because yes, I saw those connections and I saw, well, wait a minute, everybody's stressed. Everybody is probably overfed and undernourished to some extent, but, um, I am increasingly concerned about what's happening with our kids. And, you know, right now we're entering the holiday season, probably the craziest, most stressful, most wonderful time of the year. Right. But it's the most (laughs) stressful for a lot of us, for parents and kids. And we already know that kids are struggling. Um, poorly nourished and and poorly <laughs> lack of sleep, all mm-hmm. of that. I mean, where do parents start this time of year? Because it we've got a lot we want to do, but our kids, they're struggling. Yeah, I think um, you, you raised several important points there. And I'll say, you know, it's interesting because people often say, oh, you know, you're um, you work with a pediatric population. Um, you know, that, that must be tough. That takes a lot of patience. You know, what's interesting is actually the kids are the easy part. When you work with a pediatric population, honestly, the most challenging part is you have to not only be skilled at working with the kids, but you also have to be skilled at working with the adults in the kids' lives. Because really we're all in pediatrics from the standpoint of what's happening with adults Mm -hmm. has a tremendous impact on what's happening for kids. So you work specifically with adults at this point, um, but the, the direct and indirect impact of that work with adults on the kids in those adults' homes, classrooms, you know, whatever, um, is profound. We can't underestimate that. And so one of the top things that comes to my mind um, any time of the year, but especially when we're talking about, you know, the chaotic holiday time of the year, is that we have to start with ourselves. Um, Actually, the burden of... um, regulation, emotional regulation, behavioral regulation, managing of all this stuff actually falls on us first. And that's a really uncomfortable thing for a lot of parents to hear, right? Um, Because we sort of want it to be our kids issue. Like some of the top questions they get, how do I get my kid to do X, Y, or Z or, you know, whatever. And it actually starts with us. It starts with our ability 
to manage our own emotions and behaviors because that has a profound impact physically, neurologically, emotionally on our kids' ability to regulate and manage their emotions and behaviors. It always has to start with us. So especially as we head into this really busy time of year, where as adults, we tend to allow ourselves to get stretched really thin. A lot of us are not great at setting boundaries, especially with family at holiday times around um, our schedules, our emotional bandwidth, what what works for us uh, financially and time-wise, right? And so we tend to get overextended and stressed. And then we wonder why our kids are extra hyper, not sleeping as well, kind of extra stressed or just not managing themselves well. Well, they're feeding off of what's happening with us because of what we've created in terms of the schedule, the stress level. So the first thing to help kids manage this time of year is what do we need to do to help ourselves manage this time of year? And that can get tricky because often we're looking then at what is really best for us and our kids and our family as opposed to maybe what we've always done or what other people expect of us, or what we feel like we should be doing. Um, And that can get uncomfortable to look at, but is super important because one of the foundational things is when we are stretching ourselves too thin, when we have crammed too much into the schedule, even in the name of family time or making memories. You know, that's always been one of the great ironies to me, right? At at holiday times of year, um, you know, and it's not just at the, um, you know, sort of end of the year holidays. This can be any time of year, but this quest, especially I think for those of us who are moms, where it's like, we have to make all the memories. We have to go to the pumpkin patch. We have to cut (laughs) down the Christmas tree at the farm. We have to, you know, make all the cookies. We have to do all of these things so that we can get photos and make all these memories. And that's important for our kids. But the reality is that sometimes in our quest to do all of those things, we create so much tension overfill the schedule so much, create so much stress for ourselves and for them that it's not fun for anyone. It's actually not quality family time. It's not good memories. And I think that we really need to allow ourselves to step back and look at that, especially in the social media, uh, Instagrammable sort of culture that we live in. Um, We need to really look at what is right for our family at this point in time and prioritizing that and not what everybody else is doing or what we think we should do. Um, I I think that's super important, especially at this time of year. Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I am one of those overachieving parents. I want, well, mostly because probably I'm more overachieving because of social media, right? Like I want to make it look like I'm doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I will make us have fun. Dang it. So I I appreciate Mm -hmm. you saying that. I think that that's so important. Um, gosh, because when, like you said, when our stress is high, their stress is high. I mean, I say that all the time, especially if you have a child who has a sensitive nervous system, or if you have a child who has some type of neurodevelopmental uh, disability or a child who has processing issues or a kid who's anxious or a kid who has any type of challenge, the faster paced 
things get, the more you try to cram in, the higher the expectations, the tighter the timeline, the harder it is for these kids. And then we create scenarios where they simply can't be successful and stay regulated. And then we get frustrated and upset with them because they're not. And it's like, well, we played a major role in setting up the circumstances that, of course, didn't allow them to be successful. And so, you know, after 25 years of working with families, one of the things that I think is key, especially this time of year, is to really look at what is reasonable and appropriate for, for you, for, for, for the adult. Um, what's your bandwidth? What do you need as far as time to decompress? What what works for you uh, in terms of how to schedule things and structure things? Um, but then also to look at your kids um, and, and the family system at large and say, what tends to go well for us? Are we a family? Do I have kids who can manage lots of get togethers and events and things in a, you know, over the period of a weekend or do my kids do better? Does our family do better when we space things out or when we just have one major get together? Or, you know, I, I think that that's one of the most important things we can do. And, and that's actually uh, being a better, more attuned, responsive parent than trying to cram it all in because you think like these are the things that we're supposed to do. Um, if everybody's stressed and frustrated and melting down, guess what? That's not a success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And with that, I'd love to talk a little bit about sleep hygiene and, and just good basic bedtime habits, because, you know, I say basic because it seems like one of those, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, got to have a bedtime, whatever. But I know for me just personally and my kids, that's, that's a hill that I will die on. <laughs> Is bedtime. Girl, me too. I'll tell you off. what, totally. I mean, I am an eight hour, I'm an eight hour girl when it comes to sleep. I can go a night if I get less, but over time, if I overpack my schedule or plan too much travel or whatever, um, and I'm not getting enough sleep, it's not good. Same goes for our kids, except even more so. Kids have an even greater need for enough good quality sleep at night. And most of them aren't getting it, especially in the teen years. You know, teens actually need eight to 10 hours on average, and most of them are getting six. Yep. Some are getting less. And so as we think about the holiday time, again, we think about, okay, if sleep is an important value, and I would argue, as you just did, that it needs to be. When we're sleeping well at night, we're going to manage things the next day a whole lot better. If you want your holiday get-togethers to go better, prioritize a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. But that means structuring things so that we can do that, right? That means saying we're going to need to leave you know, the family gathering um, by eight so that we can get the kids in bed by nine. Or that means saying, okay, if we're traveling and taking a trip together... Um, how do we need to orchestrate the sleeping arrangements so that the kids and us can still get a good night's sleep? It means prioritizing those pieces that make it possible for us and our kids to be well-regulated and function and manage well. And so I think especially around the holidays, preserving 
some of those routines, making sure that kids are not being expected to be out late at events and things multiple nights in a row. It's just not going to go well. Um, trying to keep some consistency in those evening routines, even if you are, you know, at grandma's house for the holidays or whatever, still maintaining some of those routines of, you know, we start winding down about an hour you know, before bed, we read some books, we take a bath, the more we can keep kids in those routines. And that goes for older kids too. Mm -hmm. That goes for teens as well. Um, You know, maintaining those good routines, um, even during uh, the holidays, just makes everything go better. You know, I will say one of the things I see that really gets in the way for kids at, at this time, this isn't just at the holidays, but it's in general, since you asked about sleep hygiene, is devices. This is not something that we were dealing with in previous generations, but it's a huge problem right now. And it's one of the top things that parents will express frustration around or ask for help around is, you know, my kids won't put the devices down or, you know, my my kids got a device in their room at night. Um, I'm pretty flexible on lots of things, but I'll tell you one thing I'm absolutely not flexible on. And that is no kid should have any device in their room through the night, Um, especially if it's an internet connected device. Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing, nothing good happens online in the middle of the night for your kids, nothing. Mm -hmm. And it is so common that I have kids and teens in the clinic um, who will disclose to me when I remove their parents from the room and say, okay, tell me what's really going on that actually they're only getting a couple hours of sleep at night because they've got texts waking them up. You know, they'll wake up to to go to the bathroom maybe at two in the morning and they'll turn on their device. And before you know it, three hours later, they've been sucked into drama on social media and whatever, not to mention the dangerous things that can happen. Absolutely. We know that device use in the night is one of the key drivers of sleep problems for kids. It's also an issue right before bed. Kids who have, you know, especially a handheld device in their face right up until they try to go to sleep. This goes for us as adults, too. uh, And then struggle to fall asleep. Well, it's because you've been stimulating your brain with the light from those devices, but you've also been stimulating with the content from that. And it makes it very hard to fall asleep. So ideally, we're powering down those devices at least an hour before bed and having kids engage in other kinds of things, um, you know, to relax and head into sleep. And certainly when it is time for bed, those devices are shut off. You have a central place in the home um, or you keep them in your bedroom or whatever you need to do so that those devices are not compromising your child's sleep and safety. It's just a huge, Mm -hmm. huge thing. And I think most parents don't really Um, consider it partly because we didn't grow up and I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit here. I'm, I'm not a millennial um, parent. Millennial parents did grow up with some of those things. I didn't even, you know, smartphones didn't exist until I was an adult. Um, But we didn't have to think about that for ourselves. Our parents didn't have to have rules about those kinds of things. And so a lot of times I think it just is not on the radar for parents about the problems with that. But it's a huge problem. If there's one thing you can do to support your kids sleep, which then supports their development and function in every other way, it's get those devices out of the room at night. 
I am so glad you touched on that. So I actually, I have an 18 year old and she just now is, is a quote allowed. She's living at home, going to college sure. her first year, yeah. but she just now has her phone in her room with her at night. We kind of, we were so in the habit of it. We, we forgot. And we were like, Oh, right. you're 18. I guess you can have it. Although I still have my reservations because I'm an adult and I struggle right. with phone usage oh, in right. my bed and my prefrontal cortex is developed. Hers isn't. That's right. So it's still for all of us. This is a struggle. It is. And when they get to be that age, we work with that, you know, we've modeled, we've taught, we've whatever, and we hope that they start to, you know, put some of those things in place. I have three who are, you know, out of the house now, they're 18, 20 and 22. And, um, you know, they're going to make their decisions about that. But we, when we've modeled and explained and, you know, whatever leading up to that, that, that gives them at least a fighting chance Mm -hmm. at making some good decisions for themselves in that way. But certainly for younger kids, the data is just so clear. And and even just honestly, from a, um, from a safety perspective, nighttime with internet connected devices is when kids get themselves in some real concerning safety situations, Mm -hmm. even unintentionally. Yeah. Even if you're a parent thinking, well, my kid would never X, Y, and Z. Well, first of all, we all like to think that about our kids, but they are kids. <laughs> um, but second of all, even unintentionally, kids can end up caught up in things um, unsupervised uh, where it's a problem. And so I think those are just things we need to have on our radar. The same goes like during the daytime too. And, you know, thinking back to what we can do at the holiday time when kids are off on school break. There can be a tendency to just have a lot more, you know, unrestricted time on devices. Oh, we're relaxing, whatever. And suddenly realize, why are my kids so irritable and grumpy and like snapping at everything and not listening? And you go, oh, could it be because they spent the majority of the day with the video games or with the tablet or with, you know, on social media. And so I think that's something just to be aware of during this season as well, especially when you've got long weekends, when you've got breaks from school to think about um, what the expectations are going to be around how we use that time and making sure that it isn't just endless amounts of time on devices, because we know the data is clear that for the vast majority of humans, kids, especially it increases irritability, um, you know, anxiety, those kinds of things. So I think just to be conscientious about that, certainly if you're taking a four hour car trip to grandma and grandpa's for, (laughs) you know, the holidays, watching a movie or spending some time on a tablet or whatever, that can be a great way to do that. But then you want to make sure that once they get there, they're not continuing to be absorbed in that for hours on end um, and, and that they're doing other things. So something else to just consider, especially at this time of year, I think. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that the data is clear on that because I think that's all, you know, it's like, well, I think the screens affect my kids, but there's data. And with that, I mean, I usually, for me, when my kids are going all crazy, I have kind of a checklist I go through sleep Mm -hmm. is one Mm -hmm. electronics is another one. My own personal stress is another one, but nutrition, I would love to talk about that because I know for many of us, this is also where we go off the rails, adults and kids, but mostly our kids, because they're getting parties at school. And I don't know about, you know, the rest of the United States, but the school where I am, it's, I mean, it's crazy. I have one kid that pukes up red dye. So we have to watch that, you know, 
anyway, so let's talk about nutrition and mental health specifically, because some people are still like, wait, there's a connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, yes, let's, let's zoom out and start with the big picture that yes, there is undeniably a connection between what we eat, what our kids eat and mental health. That's no longer, there's no longer a question mark around that. We have many clear, you know, really well done research studies for kids and adults at this point that show us that there is a direct connection between the food we eat and how our brain functions and what mental health symptoms we do or don't experience. Now, that doesn't mean that nutrition is the sole cause of any mental health issues that people might have. Certainly not. But nutrition absolutely plays a role. So they're no longer, you know, anybody at this point who wants to say, well, you know, what we eat doesn't matter for our mental health. Well, that that's just um, scientifically inaccurate. That's just that it's a fact that what we eat does make a difference. And there are lots of um, components to that, right? We have studies showing that certain types of nutrient-dense diets uh, for kids and adults support things like better mood, less anxiety, you know, those types of things. We also, one of the big things that we know is that diets that are filled with what we call ultra processed foods have a detrimental effect by and large on children and adults. Um, People who eat a higher proportion of their diet that falls in the ultra processed foods category have a higher risk of things like depression, anxiety, uh, other types of mood disorders, behavior disorders, learning disorders in kids, ADHD, those kinds of things. So the connections are there. I think the challenge becomes, especially at a time like the holidays, what in the world do we do about that, especially when we don't have control over all of it, right? And, And I wanna be clear, our goal should not be to constantly micromanage what goes in our kids' mouths. That's actually counterproductive and can create a lot of other kinds of issues. So where I always start is, what are we focusing on in our home? What are we modeling and teaching our kids about what we value around food and nutrition and health? What are we modeling by our own eating habits? What do they see us eating and drinking throughout the day. Not uncommon for me to have moms and dads in the clinic who are like, he needs to be eating more vegetables. And I'm like, tell me about the vegetables you eat. And it's like, well, or, you know, I want him to be drinking more water while they're sitting at the conference table in my office with their big gulp, you know, Dr. Pepper that they picked up on the way to the appointment. Right. So what we do ourselves provides a powerful model well beyond whatever we say to our kids about nutrition. So managing that for ourselves and then realizing that the one thing we do have control over is what we bring into our home. So thinking about that in terms of, you know, are we making sure that there's plenty of nutrient dense food in our house and that we're minimizing the amounts of other things that we don't want to Um, have our kids consuming a lot of. That helps provide a buffer then if they are at school or at a friend's house and whatever and eating other kinds of things, we know that the majority of the time they're eating what we provide and what we're providing aligns with our values around what is nutritious and and important for them. Um, So so I think that's key. Um, One of the specific things we know, and I have a couple tricks I'll share with people, especially at the holidays. One of the things we know about why 
Nutrient density food matters so much, especially for kids when we're talking about behavior and mood and those kinds of things, is that keeping blood sugar balanced is really key. When kids are on what I call the blood sugar roller coaster of spikes and crashes throughout the day, so they're eating, you know, maybe like sugary cereal or Pop-Tarts or, you know, sugary juices, you know, flavored milks, um, thinking about things that are served, you know, in cafeterias. When they're eating those for breakfast, they get this huge spike of blood sugar. Then 60 to 90 minutes later, they get this crash because their body and their brain burned through it quickly. So now we're at snack time. Oh, let me have the goldfish. Let me have the, the fruit gummies. Let me have the whatever. Oh, another spike. And then 90 minutes later, another crash. Many kids are on this blood sugar roller coaster all day. And what we know about that from the research, as if we need research, we can see it in them, right? Is that their mood and their behavior goes right along with those blood sugar spikes and crashes. When I go into schools and do observations, it's like clockwork. You can see it. You know, they get in those spikes and now they're more hyper. They're, you know, inattentive. They're bouncing off the walls. They're talking to their friends. They're having trouble focusing. And then in the crashes, they're irritable. They're maybe a little more resistive to what the teacher says or they're slumped over their desk. I'm so tired. I can't think. I can't do anything. Um, this is very counterproductive. And it happens to us too. I'm just talking about it specifically for kids. So keeping blood sugar balanced by giving more nutrient dense foods, trying to minimize the amounts of added sugar. And focusing on nutrient dense foods and, and looking at, you know, making sure that when we're doing meals or snacks, we've got some kind of, you know, balance of protein, fiber, healthy fat um, in there. And there are lots of great ways to do that that are very kid friendly. Luckily, there are even more packaged options now that you can find, you know, in that realm. But really thinking about minimizing the amounts of added sugar because that helps keep the blood sugar stable. So what do we see especially happen with class parties or holiday get togethers or whatever? We see this blood sugar problem on steroids right mm -hmm. now. They've spent the last two hours at school or at the friend's house or whatever eating all manner of, you know, cupcakes and candy and soda pop and all of these things. So first of all, resetting our expectations around that and going, okay, no kid's going to feel or function very well with that. Let's not have real high expectations for what we're going to be doing right after these kinds of events. Teachers inherently know this, right? What is planned on party days? Now we're going to watch a movie or we're going to go outside for recess. They know better than to be like, okay, holiday party's done. Let's sit down and, you know, let me teach you a lesson now or have you do, you know, some math work. They know not to do that. And as parents, we need to realize too, just expect that our kids are going to be more wound up and having a harder time regulating themselves. So to plan extra time outside, to not try to go from that into the piano lesson or, you know, going and getting family photos done right after that. So I think resetting our expectations. Um, I think we also, especially as we think about maybe um, family get togethers or parties, especially I know a lot of people deal with, um, being part of family or friend groups that maybe are not uh, aligned in terms of values around nutrition. Um, and so you want to think about, again, if you know you're going to a family get together where there's going to be a lot of sugar, a lot of ultra processed stuff, a lot of things that your child doesn't normally have, 
you can make sure that you give them, for example, a really good nutrient dense lunch or something with some good protein and healthy fat as a snack before you head in to that event. What that's going to do is help fill them up a bit. They're going to be less likely to overindulge. And you've got some balance there, right? You're like, okay, I know they're going to have the cakes and all of those things. Um, so let me see if I can uh, give them some things heading into that that'll help stabilize that a bit. Obviously, you can bring some things to events, um, you know, that that help provide some balance too. You know, I was always that mom. Uh, well, I should say, I always tried to be the one to sign up for the napkins and the paper plates and whatever. I was like, that's what I can handle. Um, but if I ever did get assigned food, I would be the one bringing, you know, the tray of veggies with the, the dips or, you know, something like that. I would bring fruit, something to the class party to try to, again, add some nutrient density, some fiber into the mix along with all the other stuff, because we certainly don't want to demonize any of these foods. We don't want to tell kids they can't have them, but we're looking at how do we bring some balance into that? Um, so those are a couple tricks that, and, you know, as much as you can get your kid to drink water instead of um, the soda pop, which is something we need to be modeling and instilling, you know, at home, but even that, makes a big difference. You know, is your kid going to be willing to drink one glass of juice or soda and then have the rest water? Or are they just going to, you know, go through a whole two liter that makes a big difference as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I, one of my kids earned a, like a pizza party at school recently and, and had a Dr. Pepper. That's like the ultimate, like dream drink in our house because we never have it. And he said, yeah. but I didn't drink the whole thing. And I was like, Oh, you listen to your body. He's like, yeah, it was really sweet. And, you know, and so I think that that was beautiful. He still had it, but that was a big win for this particular child who is my yeah. sugar addict child. That was yes. a huge win. And so I think that we also need to recognize that it's a process too. Yeah. Like you said, especially for the parents who are starting over new and trying to add in these foods when they have the picky eaters who are like, mm -hmm. well, I don't want broccoli or, you know, right. whatever it is. I, I've talked to people who their kids don't even like fruit, right. you know, and, and fruit can be a great starting point for a mm -hmm. lot of parents. What, what do you say, you know, are some ways I'm, I'm trying to think like in general, what would you say are your top ways to introduce healthier mm -hmm. eating to a family for somebody who's listening and going, man, I know I need to tighten up on this. I know it'll help improve a lot of things in our family, but mm -hmm. I don't know where to, where to get started. Yeah. Start with real basics. The first thing, you know, there, there's a couple of things that I start with, with families. One is simply starting to, um, switch over to water. If you and your kids, if your fridge is filled with the juice boxes, the soda pops, the sports drinks, you don't need to go all at once, but you slowly start to just say, you know, we're going to start having more water instead of having, you know, fruit juice or soda with dinner um, or even milk for that matter, um, you know, which can be high in sugar, especially what they serve at schools. Those chocolate and strawberry flavored milks have as much added sugar as a can of soda pop. And most people don't realize that um, we're going to switch over to water at dinner. Or, you know, if you have a little kid who's really hooked on the juice all the time, you start watering it down slowly over time. You start acclimating their palate to less sweet things. And you can put fruit in the water, you can have fun ice cubes, straws, but you slowly start to transition over to water. That's an easy swap because right there, you are getting rid of a lot of um, the sources of added sugar in kids' diets. Um, the second thing is to look at some of your kids' favorite 
things that they're eating for snacks or even for meals. They tend to be packaged things and looking at the ingredient panel and saying, okay, how many grams of added sugar is in this? You'll be really surprised. You know, even some of the quote unquote, you know, healthier granola bars or things like that can have 18 grams of added sugar in it. I'll, I'll, this is an aside, but it's an important context. The recommendations for children are no more than 25 grams of added sugar in a day. That may sound like a lot until you start looking at packages <laughs> and you realize that, wow, that strawberry milk that they're drinking at school has 16 grams of added sugar. And we're supposed to only be at 25 for the entire day. So looking at, and, and you don't just, you know, aim for 25 right away, but you just say, oh, wow, this granola bar has an extra eight has 18 grams of added sugar. Next time I'm at the store, can I find one that still is the same, you know, type of flavor profile, still is something my kid will like, but can I find one with maybe 10 or five grams of added sugar? Um, you start looking at that and saying, can I just start to make some swaps so that it's the same type of thing my kids used to, but less grams of added sugar, maybe less processed ingredients, um, that's a good starting point. Uh, and just making more nutrient dense foods easily available. Having, you know, apples available and sitting out or having a couple different types of uh, vegetables that are washed and cut up and in containers that they can reach in the fridge. Putting one of those things, even on a really picky eater's um, snack plate, for example. Oh, you know, you're having the whatever that you like. Um, I'm also just going to have this carrot sit there. You don't have to eat it. Exposure mm -hmm. is the key to resolving picky eating, not forcing the eating, but exposing them through putting it on the plate, having them help you wash things and cut them up, bringing them to the store or the farmer's market, helping cook. These kinds of things get them acclimated to these foods, reduce the anxiety and make it more likely over time that they'll try it. So the exposure piece is a starting point as well. If you're a parent who's like, I know my kid needs to eat fruits and vegetables, but they won't. Okay, start making them available. Start putting them out, put them on the plate, have your child serve the broccoli to everyone else at the meal. They don't have to eat it, but they're <laughs> going to be involved with doing it because what happens a lot of the time, especially with pickier kids, parents just stop even offering or exposing and because they're like, well, they're not going to eat it or I don't want the fight or whatever. Well, now you have almost ensured that that kid will continue on that same narrow path. So exposure, 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 even if they're not going to eat it right away, making it available, having them watch you and, and other people um, consuming that. Th those are some, some simple starting points, I think. Yeah. Oh, I think that's super helpful. I like the exposure principle. I like, you know, having kids, I always say, cause I like to sneak vegetables into my food, but I sure. always, my kids are always watching when I sneak them in, you know, like we are now shredding, we are grating zucchini into the meat. You are watching this. It's all going to get mixed in and yep. you're not even going to see that it's there, you know? Yep. And I think that that's important because I don't want to trick my kids no. into eating anything healthy. I want them to be fully aware that it's there. And I want to talk about the benefits while we're at it. And this is good for your brain. This, we do this right. so we can think better and sleep better and all of that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's so, so helpful. I, I appreciate that because I think there are many people that want to get started and get stuck, especially this time of year. But after December, we have January and that's when we can start trying new things, right? Yeah. And I think just realizing that every little piece is a win. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go from, you just need to be all or nothing. You don't need to go from zero to a hundred all at once. Look, the reality is the research data shows that on average in the United States, kids' diets are 68% ultra-processed foods. Oh my gosh, wow. It's really high. It's really scary. That data was collected even pre-COVID. It's probably worse now. We're not going to shift that overnight. And if you try as a parent, you're going to really endure a lot of unnecessary power struggle. So you start with yourself hey, I've been thinking about this or, hey, I met with my doctor and, you know, here's something that they said I really need to be mindful of, or this is what I'm going to start doing for myself. Start with you, start with what you're bringing in the home, start with exposure, start with education. And you have to, just like with so many things in parenting, you have to trust that over time, that's going to lead to change and benefit. Just like so many things with our kids, we have to be in it for the long game. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so good. Now I'm going to ask you my favorite question. The name of the podcast is Sparking Wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Mm, What a great question. I love that. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to answer it from a family perspective, I think, since we're talking about kids and families um, and, and parents. And I think one of the most important things is to take some time to truly connect with each other each day. Um, I know that probably people would think like, oh, I'm going to say something about what to eat or sleep or whatever. Those things are all important. But I think what gets forgotten about in this conversation around wholeness and health and wellness is the importance of really being in community and connecting with one another. And we know with kids, that's super important. Does not mean we need to drop everything and get down the floor and play with them for endless amounts of time. It does mean that we're intentional about even a few minutes of just real genuine connection with one another, putting the screens down, you know, tell me about something cool that happened today, or let me tell you about something that happened for me today. For a lot of families that can be around the dinner table, right? Device-free, attuned, connecting, um, you know, over a meal, but to really be intentional about that. It's one of the things that we have lacked in our world over the last couple of years of living through Um, The pandemic is community and connection. Um, And it's also one of the most important things for supporting our mental wellness and our mental um, health. And especially as we talk about what's important for kids. So um, a couple minutes a day of intentional communication and connection with one another. I love that you started out briefly touching on uh, supporting nervous system regulation in kids. And I think that this is just a great way to cap that off with the reminder that we can co-regulate each other's nervous system. And that is crucial for any, any part of healing. So thank you so much for sharing that. And then let, um, remind us where can we, where can we find you and contact you and your website and all of that? 
Yeah. So my website is drberkins.com, D-R-B-E-U-R-K-E-N-S.com. Lots of uh, resources there, articles, videos. You can find my podcast, The Better Behavior Show on there. It's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Like 200 and some episodes now. Um, You can find The Better Behavior Show on whatever podcast player too. Really focused on holistic, um, you know, mental health, wellness, development um, for kids and families. Uh, my Instagram, which you mentioned, is Dr. Nicole Birkins. Um, Instagram's where I hang out the most. I'm on Facebook and some of the other ones too, but Instagram's where I really have a great community of um, parents and professionals there. So would love to have you join. And then my book for parents, uh, Life Will Get Better, um, is you can find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. So a few places to get more info. Well, thank you so, so much. This was so informative, so helpful, also practical. Um, and I always appreciate the practical tools because that's, that's where we struggle the most. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.